states like these and their terrorist allies constitute an axis of evil. Not merely peace in our time, but peace in all time. Continued cooperation for world peace. All those who have fought against oppression. This country deserves a break from politics and a permanent break. Talking about So, Eugenia, uh, a warm welcome to the Swedish Foreign Affairs podcast. My first question to you is, who are you and what is your background? Uh, hi, I'm uh, Dr. Evgenia Gaber. I'm Ukrainian foreign policy expert and uh, senior fellow in the Center for Modern Turkish Studies of the Carleton University in Canada. But I also have a bit of academic background and a bit of diplomatic background. I used to work in Ukrainian embassy in Turkey, in Ankara, and then working for the government as a foreign policy advisor to the Prime Minister of Ukraine. So my, my, my second question is, can you describe the war, Russia's war against Ukraine from a, a Black Sea region perspective? Um, well, uh, it's been a game changer uh, for the Black Sea region, actually for the whole European security, but particularly for our region. Uh, just because uh, there is no possibility anything will be like it used to be before this war. In many different respects, uh, in terms of security, I think it's obvious that uh, while we've been talking about hybrid war of Russia against Ukraine as being a huge threat for the whole region and not only for Ukraine during all these years, like six, uh, seven, eight years in a row, starting with the uh, illegal annexation and occupation of Crimea. Now it kind of became obvious for uh, all countries, including NATO countries here in the Black Sea, that Russia is a major threat for European and for the transatlantic security. Uh, with the uh, with this uh, struggle for uh, warm water uh, ports and uh, for the access to the Mediterranean, Russia has always been trying to have this dominance in, in the Black Sea. But now, uh, in case uh, it succeeds in cutting off Ukraine from the Black Sea, it will actually turn the whole Black Sea in the Russian lake with all the repercussions and consequences that it will have for Turkey, for um, the Black Sea countries, literal states, but also, as I've mentioned, for uh, European and global security. So this is a very uh, general look uh, at the uh, region at the moment. But then if you go into details, it will be obvious that uh, the so-called uh, belt of frozen conflict that we used to have here with Transnistria in Moldova, with uh, Crimea and Donbass in Ukraine, which has actually never been a frozen conflict with Nagorno-Karabakh in Azerbaijan, with Georgia, uh, South Ossetia and Abkhazia, they are also occupied territories by the Russian forces. They are now all uh, on the edge of becoming hot conflicts again. Uh, we see how Russia is using Transnistria in Moldova just to destabilize situation further. So it's actually Russian quest to um, get uh, complete dominance in this region, also including in militarily terms, in political terms, and uh, to uh, move further because this is how Russia acts. It can only it only stops where it is stopped. So that is why it is important for all our Western partners to unite and to give a um, common response to that. Because in case 
Russia is not stopped in the Black Sea. Uh, in Ukraine, it will go further to Moldova, Romania, Poland, Baltic states, Sweden, Finland, whatever. So that's why actually what happens in the Black Sea never stays in the Black Sea. And that's why it matters so much. Uh, maybe last point here, which I have to mention also talking about the Black Sea, you cannot by mention that is, of course, uh, the fact that there is no such thing as the freedom of navigation anymore. The Black Sea and the Sea of Azov are completely uh, blocked by uh, Russia, by Russian warships, by the uh, drifting sea mines, which have been left by Russia here as well. So this is also a huge economic threat, and this is a threat to all kind of uh, logistical chains, to food security, to import and export operations, to economic activities of Ukraine, because without having a possibility to trade overseas, uh, this is uh, basically a situation when uh, you only have online routes to do that, which makes it a much more complicated and expensive process. And, and moving on, uh, could you describe the relationship between uh, firstly Ukraine and Turkey, and secondly Russia and Turkey? given that Turkey is a very important strategic actor in the Black Sea region? Well, uh, for Turkey, actually, what happens now in the Black Sea is also a matter of its national security. That's why Turkey has always tried to play this role of a mediator, facilitator of peace talks and negotiations between Russia and Ukraine, just because uh, Turkey's traditional position has been a very delicate balancing act, trying to do both, uh, to develop its working relations, trade relations mostly, with Russia, uh, and then uh, having this uh, very high-level political dialogue and strategic partnership with Ukraine, including in the military and technical spheres. So uh, until recently, it had been possible for Turkey to do both at the same time. Now it's obviously much uh, more difficult for official Ankara to have uh, ties and connections both to President Putin and to President Zelensky, and to do business as usual with Russia in terms of energy, cooperation in terms of uh, trade, in terms of uh, not joining sanctions against Russia and also not uh, even uh, closing its uh, skies for Russian aircraft and then inviting Russian tourists to come to Turkey for a holiday season and even create new companies that would be solely focused on bringing Russian tourists to uh, Turkey, while all other countries have applied sanctions. And this is one part of the story. But on the other hand, politically, diplomatically, Turkey supports Ukraine. And uh, in all international organizations, in all multilateral platforms, we have this support uh, from Turkey, including voting on United Nations resolutions, including uh, Turkey's support in other organizations like SOCI, like uh, a parliamentary Assembly of Council of Europe and others. Plus, of course, we have this cooperation on uh, Bayraktar drones, which, uh, which is important for us. And uh, these uh, drones have proved to be really very um, efficient in, uh, on the battlefield uh, in Ukraine. 
though uh, they are not a game changer, of course, because the uh, full-scale war against Ukraine is just not something like it used to be in Syria or in Nagorno-Karabakh. It's a completely different uh, theater, but still uh, they have been really important for us. So this dubious uh, position uh, has uh, provoked much of criticism in, uh, in many countries, including in Ukraine. We appreciate, and that's, I think, a basic line here, that we appreciate a lot uh, diplomatic efforts of uh, President Erdogan trying to bring both sides together, but uh, sometimes uh, you um, expect much more, especially from strategic partners, and especially because Russia is a threat not only for Ukraine, but also for Turkey. And the fact that Turkey is a NATO country and that Turkey has the second largest army in NATO and it controls the straits and it even closed the straits for Russian warships, uh, uh, which are not uh, the uh, warships of the Black Sea fleet, uh, but uh, any other fleets outside of the region. That is something that also shows uh, Turkey's difficult position here because it wants to have both not to have economic crisis, not to have uh, shattered relations with Russia on many different fronts that would have implications for uh, Turkey's own domestic situation, but then also to support Ukraine, just because via Ukraine, Turkey can also deter a Russian uh, militarily and political presence in the Black Sea. Uh, what would be the consequences if Ukraine lost more access uh, to the Black Sea? Um, well, as I have already mentioned, the first and most direct consequence would be that uh, actually the Black Sea would turn into a Russian uh, internal sea, into a Russian lake. And uh, that's also a huge uh, threat for NATO, uh, because we as experts for many, many years, we've been uh, quite critical of NATO's position towards the Black Sea, saying that it's generally regarded as somewhere on the periphery of the alliance, uh, while actually three NATO members, Turkey, Romania and Bulgaria, are literal states here. So we'd probably want to see, even before this war started, a much more proactive stance of NATO towards the region and a much more clearly articulated strategy towards the Black Sea region. Unfortunately, and due to many different reasons, which we're not going to discuss now, this has not happened so far. But hopefully this war will be a game changer now. Uh, so in case Ukraine, uh, and I don't want even to pronounce this because I believe that Ukraine has to succeed in this war with the assistance of our Western partners and with the assistance of NATO nations. But in case uh, Russia succeeds and uh, let's say it takes over Odessa and uh, it has already occupied Kherson part of the Mykolaiv region and then uh, Crimea and uh, all uh, ports uh, of the Sea of Azov, like Berdansk and uh, Mariupol, it means that there will be no chance whatsoever for Ukraine to have a normal uh, trade, actually to exist as a sea uh, country, as a uh, state, right, which uh, uh, not only um, is situated on the Black Sea shores, but uh, which owes a large part of its economic development, of its national security, to being a maritime state, actually. Uh, meaning that uh, in terms of uh, our security, in terms of our ability to operate as a sovereign independent state, we will be in a very vulnerable position. 
meaning that uh, again getting back to the food security we will not have a possibility to export grain and ukraine has been known as a, a breadbasket of europe so this is actually a threat also for european countries for many african countries for for the middle eastern countries which used to import a lot of um, grains, cereals, uh, oil, nuts, foods, veg uh, fruit, vegetable, everything from Ukraine. There will be not, um, there won't be any possibility to do that anymore. But most importantly is that Russia will most obviously use uh, the Black Sea as a stronghold uh, and as a power for power projection to other regions like the Baltic Sea, for example, like the uh, Mediterranean Sea. I'm pretty sure that in case it succeeds in Ukraine, uh, it will have even uh, uh, much bigger appetites for other territories in the region and it will proceed with more uh, aggression in, uh, in other regions uh, which are just uh, to the Black Sea, and uh, as I said, uh, that will be most probably, first of all, um, Eastern Mediterranean, Mediterranean in general, given uh, Syria, Libya, and the uh, presence of Russia in all those uh, theaters, but also the Baltic Sea. Thank you. And, and my final question, uh, what more can we do uh, to support Ukraine in this war, uh, to support Ukraine in, in uh, being victorious? Uh, well, um, uh, there are a couple of uh, things uh, here which I'd like to mention, and these are different dimensions to uh, to the levels of support that we need. First, uh, I'm pretty sure that this war has to be um, won, and the victory has to be won on the battlefield, uh, because it's a very different type of war now. It's not like it used to be even after the 24th of February. It uh, actually it has turned into acts of genocide against Ukrainian people. We uh, see every day uh, crimes against humanity, war crimes, atrocities, uh, looting, raping, um, deportation of Ukrainian citizens, deportation of Ukrainian children uh, from the eastern regions of uh, Ukraine to Russia. And this is a forceful deportation and we don't even know the particular numbers of those people being deported there. So obviously, first and foremost, we need um, weapons uh, to defend ourselves, but also to defend European security and democracy. Uh, secondly, and this is heavy weapons, and these are, of course, sophisticated systems, and luckily we started getting it from, uh, from NATO partners and from our Western partners, but we need more, and we need them now, and we also need training for our soldiers to be able to use those weapons. So now, uh, at least we've got uh, principle okay especially after the historical meeting in the Rammstein days. So now it's a matter of time when we get them and start using them on the battlefield. Second is about sanctions. Uh, sanctions have been, uh, of course, much stronger. Uh, we already have a lot on that, uh, especially European Union sanctions, but still uh, total oil and gas embargo and then banning of all Russian banks from SWIFT system and not only of some of them, but really a comprehensive ban of all Russian banks from the 
SWIFT system. And uh, another thing that would be really important here is to be sure that we can maintain this pressure in the long term until the total deoccupation of Ukraine. So it cannot be until a ceasefire, it cannot be until some kind of a peace talks or withdrawal of uh, partial withdrawal of Russian uh, troops and forces uh, to the uh, positions before the 24th of February. These sanctions have to be in place and getting more and more um, strong, more and more uh, uh, putting more and more pressure on Russia until we get Crimea back, until we uh, get uh, Eastern territories back, and until we get all uh, reparations and compensation for the damage caused by the uh, Russian troops and Russian soldiers on Ukrainian soil. Uh, humanitarian assistance is absolutely critical. Uh, Ukrainian refugees, uh, those people who had to leave Ukraine and to move to other countries, they do need support not only in the first days and not only for this short-term period of time, but also in the long-term run. And I believe this is also something that we will still have to talk about. And these are uh, kind of classical things uh, that we've always been talking about in the start of this war. But I would add a couple of new things here as well, because the uh, nature of this warfare has changed. So now we need support, for example, uh, in terms of um, investigation of the war crimes, uh, putting on record and uh, actually um, having a trace of all those crimes which are happening in each and every city in Ukraine now, which is under Russian occupation or which has been bombed and shelled by uh, Russian troops, including uh, residential areas, including schools, including kindergartens, including theaters like in Mariupol theater, which was bombed and uh, 600 civilians were killed there. So we need to uh, have a record of all those atrocities and afterwards we will need international support and help of our partners in uh, terms of uh, international uh, criminal courts uh, in bringing those um, war criminals to justice in whatever conjuncture, in whatever courts we can talk about. But this war tribunal is something that we will have to work all together on because this is also a precedent for the future. And because this is something that will show to the other countries what happens to them if they violate uh, norms of international humanitarian law, including um, rules of war, including uh, usage of the different types of uh, munition and weapons which are banned under Geneva Convention and everything which is related to that. Uh, last point, uh, probably, which I've made here in terms of um, support and in terms of what can be made um, where we uh, need uh, more support and more help uh, from uh, our partners would be uh, diplomatic support of Ukraine. Uh, with the Ukrainian um, membership be to, to the European Union and to NATO, I believe uh, we're also showing an example to other countries and generally to international community what are our common values. Do we stay uh, on the bureaucratic side saying that uh, there can be no fast track for Ukraine just because we have procedures and just because Ukraine has not done something for full European Union membership and NATO membership whatsoever, or we are still talking about common values? 
uh, European values, democracy, human rights, human dignity even, which Ukraine has proved it's been fighting for many, many years, starting from the Euromaidan. So uh, in this regard, I think that it's also important for Ukrainians as a nation, but also for all other European nations to feel that we are still in the same boat and that we deserve uh, to be treated like uh, equal uh, members of the crew on this boat. Evgenia, thank you very much for taking the time to speak to the podcast and thank you for sharing your expertise. Um, we fully support uh, Ukraine here in Sweden and uh, I hope we can have this conversation again in uh, in more peaceful times. Thank you very much. Sure, and thank you for bringing Ukraine to your agenda. Thank you so much.